Sunday school hour, and I'm just going to share about what God is doing in New England, what I've seen take place over the last 20 years. My first visit to New England was in 1989. It is the least churched area of our nation. Huge, huge need, and yet God is doing some incredible incredible things. So if you don't go to Sunday school, I, I would invite you to come to the fellowship hall, the basement area. I'd love to just help you see what's taking place. That's next Sunday, 9.30 a.m. And again, Carson and Angie will be in the back after the service to greet you and to answer any questions that you might have. Last week, Adam Brucker, our youth minister, launched our four-week series looking at the life of Elijah. And if you're new here at FCC, or maybe you're just checking us out, or maybe you've been gone and you're coming back, all year we've just taken one-month looks at different giants of the faith. We've started by looking at people like Moses, and we looked at Joshua for a while, and King David last month, and this month we're looking at Elijah. And Adam did a great job kind of introducing us to the prophet Elijah. And if you weren't here last week, his message was this. Elijah, the prophet, was in a season of training in 1 Kings 17. And it was a season of pain, a season of dependence, and a season of obedience. And what I want to do is give you some context to, to the, the, the scripture that we're going to look at today. 1 Kings chapter 18. It was really tough times for God's people in so many ways. Last month, we looked at the life of David, and that was probably as good as it gets for Israel. David was their greatest king. His son Solomon succeeded him, and the kingdom expanded to a point where it would never be greater. It would never have more of a land mass. It would never have more wealth. Times couldn't be any more different as we get to 1 Kings chapter 18. The glory days are gone. God's people are now defined by division. No longer do we just have the nation of Israel. They've split into north and south, Israel and Judah. And they have had 19 consecutive bad or evil kings in the northern kingdom. Wrap your brain around that for just a minute. 19 consecutive bad or evil kings in the north. We're getting ready to elect a president, either to re-elect a president or to elect for the first time a president. And if you look back and you think back to the last 19 presidents, my guess is we'd probably have a split decision in here, but my guess is not a single person would rise up and say they were all bad and evil, all, all 19. 19 consecutive evil or bad kings. And the current king, a guy by the name of Ahab and his diabolical bride named Jezebel, they are described as being more evil than all of the others. They're worse than any of the other, others up to this point. In the immediate context, and I think this is going to resonate with many of us today, the immediate context is this, there's no rain. Remember last week, those of you that were here? Prophet Elijah said to Ahab, it's not going to rain for a very, very, very long time. Now, we connect with that, right? We're in a season of drought in many ways. My friends, it went over three years without any rain at all. It's tough, tough times for God's people. It's tough, tough times for Israel. What's the current state of faith in Israel? Well, here's the current state of faith in Israel. Israel has embraced what we're going to call polytheism. Give me a couple more slides. Advance a couple here. Israel has embraced polytheism. Polytheism is the belief that there are multiple gods, more than one god. Now, you, more than likely, I'm going to assume, you embrace monotheism. 
the idea that there is but one God. But during this time, many of the peoples, many of the cultures, many of the nations embraced polytheism. And there was a God of rain, and a God of fire, and a God of the crops, and a God of fertility. And Israel had been enticed by this concept that there's more than one God, and they were worshiping the gods of Baal and the gods of Asherah. They had really captured the hearts of so many. And we get to 1 Kings chapter 18, and if I were to summarize the situation from a God-fearing perspective, here's what I would say, something must be done. Something has to happen. This cannot continue on. God's people are heading on the path of destruction. But as you're going to see as we read a lot of Scripture this morning, we're going to read 30 verses of Scripture this morning, second half of 1 Kings chapter 18, you'll see that the odds are really not in the favor of those who still fear the Lord, who still serve the Lord. There are 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah, and according to our text, but one prophet of the Lord is left. That evil, diabolical Jezebel, she's killed many, had many prophets of the Lord killed. And so really, in many ways, it's Elijah versus everybody else. And you look at those odds, 450 to 1, or 850 to 1, and those odds don't seem very favorable, do they? If you were a gambler, you wouldn't place bets on the 1 more than likely, would you? Now, you're probably sitting here right now on August 12, and you're probably thinking to yourself, Greg, thank you very much for the history lesson. It's great. I learned some things that I never knew before. But what in the world does this have to do with life in 2012? I mean, we're monotheistic, aren't we? We don't worship multiple gods, do we? None of you have prayed to the God of rain, have you? You've just prayed to the Lord your God for rain. And this week there was some rain, right? Well, I think this message is especially relevant for Christ followers today. And here's why. I am convinced that many people today who who wear the label Christ follower have a monotheistic belief, but they have a polytheistic heart. Oh, you never utter it on Sunday morning or, or Monday morning for that matter. You never sign on the dotted line and say, yes, I'm a a, a polytheist. You wouldn't say that. But in your heart, you're serving multiple gods. What are some of the other gods that we serve today? Right now on your outline, if you're filling in, I've given you a couple lines. Just think of what are some of the other gods that, that are enticing in 2012? Some of the other gods that entrap in 2012. Who are some of the gods that are tempting for pagan and Christ follower alike today? See, I'm convinced that many a Christ follower has that polytheistic heart. Well, I think some of the gods that entrap us today are the gods of sex, or the gods of shekels, or the gods of success. Anybody driven? To follow such gods? What about gods like the stomach? It's tempting to me at times, I've got to tell you. 
Or what about the gods of pleasure? Or the gods of possessions? Unfortunately, for many of us today, I believe we are living a polytheistic, heart-driven life. We'd never say it out loud. We'd never want to sign on the dotted line. But our hearts, they're divided. And on Sunday morning, we're really good with coming to church and singing praise to the Lord. But Monday morning's a different story. Friday night's a different story. Saturday evening, don't even go down that road. So I believe that the the text we're going to look at today, an account that took place thousands of years ago, is irrelevant for you and for me today. So with that, I want you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings is in the Old Testament. 1 Kings chapter 18, we're going to look at verses 16 to 46, and we're going to look at what I like to call a battle for the ages. And I need to let you know, I'm not going to put all 30 verses up on the screen. I am going to put a lot of the verses up on the screen, but it will really be helpful for you as we go through this. If you have God's Word in front of you, and if you didn't bring a Bible, no big deal. We've got pew Bibles, and we would invite you to use them. And let me even throw this out. If you don't have a Bible... Take it with you. It's okay, honestly. Nobody's going to stop you at the door. Take that Bible. That becomes your Bible today. 1 Kings chapter 18, let's look at the word of the Lord. Beginning in verse 16, it says, So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. There there had been uh, this bounty that had been placed on Elijah's life. And Ahab had told all of his servants, go find Elijah. And Obadiah was kind of a secret follower of the Lord. And he went and he found Elijah, and he loved Elijah the prophet. And Elijah said, hey, it's time for me to go see Ahab. So Obadiah allows that to happen. And in verse 17, we see this encounter. When Ahab saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? Ahab saying right here, Elijah, it's your fault that the crops aren't growing. It's your fault there's a famine. It's your fault there's been no rain. Because you made that proclamation three years ago that there would be no rain in the land. And that's a logical conclusion. You could make that conclusion right here. Verse 18, Elijah replied, I've not made trouble for Israel, but you and your father's family have. You've abandoned the Lord's commands and you've followed the bales. He's saying you brought it on yourself. You had a choice. You know the law. You know the truth. And yet you decided you wanted to follow after the bales. Verse 19, Elijah says, Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal And the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and he said, and this is one of the key verses in this entire text that we're looking at today. Elijah throws this out to all the people that are there. Thousands of people more than likely are gathered together. And he says, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. 
But if Baal is God, follow him. Elijah is drawing a line in the sand. He said it stops today. The game is over today. The idea of having, and we've talked about this, one foot in the world and one foot with the Lord, no more. We're not going down that road anymore. Today, the wavering stops. You follow the Lord your God or you follow Baal. And look at the response of the people. What's it say? The people said nothing. Why did the people say nothing? You know what? I'm convinced the people said nothing because they knew they were guilty as charged. Parents, grandparents, you may remember a time, maybe it even happened this week, where your children or your grandchildren did something, you confronted them on that, they were guilty as charged, and you said something like, what do you have to say for yourself? And there's nothing for them to say. That's the state of the people right here. They've been playing the game, one foot in, one foot out. And Elijah says, it stops today. Verse 22, then Elijah said to them, I'm the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let them choose one for themselves. Let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Elijah's saying, we're going to have a contest. We're going to have a test. We're going to see whose God is real. Is it the Lord or is it Baal? Verse 24. Then you call on the name of your God. I'll call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people said, what you say is good. They're in agreement. This is a good idea. This is a good plan. Verse 25. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Then call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. Elijah lets the 450 go first. It's very nice of him. Verse 26. So the prophets of Baal took the bull given to them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning to noon. Oh, Baal! Answer us, was their cry. Something like that. They shouted. And there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar that they had made. There's a little humor in this passage. We see the humor next. Verse 27. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he is deep in thought. Or busy. Or traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder. And they slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. My guess is this was pretty entertaining. My guess is it was pretty comical. But not one of the 450 prophets of Baal could get a response, could get an answer. There's no fire. 
Verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. And they came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. The altar of the Lord was in ruins. Elijah then took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seahs of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, and this is really cool here, catch this, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Why would he take four large jars of water and soak the meat and soak the wood? Why would you do that if you want fire? That's crazy, isn't it? He's not done. He says, do it again. And they did it again. Do it a third time, Elijah ordered. And they did it a third time. Verse 35, the water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. You're not going to see any fire now, are you? The wood's soaking wet. The meat's soaking wet. There's a trench of water. How could this ever possibly happen? What's Elijah doing? Well, let's find out. Verse 36, at the time of the sacrifice... The prophet Elijah stepped forward and he prayed. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me. Why? So these people will know that you are, O Lord, our God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. Verse 38, then the fire of the Lord fell, and it burned up the sacrifice, and the wood, and the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. Man, I get goosebumps just reading that. It's incredible. It shouldn't have happened. It's a miracle. It's the power of God in action. And look at verse 39. Key verse of this entire narrative. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and they cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Two weeks ago, when we looked at David's dancing before the Lord and then God's unconditional covenant promise that he poured out to David and then David's response to the Lord. You remember what David's response was? What his prayer was? Oh, Lord God, you are God. Oh, Lord God, you are God. Two weeks ago, I challenged many of you, if you're, if you're wrestling with where you're at faith-wise. If you're struggling right now, you could read a book. You could go to a seminar. You could go to church. You should go to church. But maybe, just maybe, you need to get up every morning and like David prayed and like the people proclaimed here, start your day simply saying, the Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And let's go, Lord. 
Let's tackle this day together. Incredible, incredible response. Verse 40. Then Elijah commanded them, seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them, and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. And Elijah said to Ahab, go eat and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground, and he put his face between his knees. No victory lap for Elijah here. He's not going on a book signing tour here. He's praying to the Lord. Verse 43, go look toward the sea, Elijah told his servant. And he went up and looked. There's nothing there, the servant said. Seven times, Elijah said, go back. The seventh time, the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds, the wind rose, and a heavy rain came on, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came upon Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. This is a, this is a battle of all battles. And the Lord, He is God, prevails. So what do we do with this? What, what do we do with 1 Kings 18 and this incredible victory over the prophets of Baal? Well, I want you to leave today understanding that Elijah's message, it's relevant, obviously, in 1 Kings 18, but I think it's relevant for you, whoever you are today in 2012. And here's his message. It's time to quit wavering. Now, let's just be frank this morning. Let's just be honest this morning. Some of us, our life right now, from a faith perspective, could be defined as wavering. So don't hear my words. Hear Elijah's words. It's time to quit wavering. It's time to quit playing games. Get in, get out. Live for the Lord or don't live for the Lord, but it's time to quit wavering. The second thing that I take from 1 Kings 18, so obvious, did you see that the prophets of Baal could not deliver? They couldn't deliver. They tried everything literally under the sun for hours upon hours upon hours, and they couldn't deliver. And it wasn't because of a lack of effort. They get an A for effort. You know why they couldn't deliver? Because Baal is a false god. And just like Baal was proved to be a false god in 1 Kings 18, some of those gods that we talked about earlier, that many of us are enticed with, we're playing games with, they won't deliver either. The God of success, you'll never be satisfied. The God of pleasure, it'll never be enough. The God of possessions, you'll always want more. The prophets of Baal could not deliver. These false gods cannot deliver either. And then finally, I just want to leave with you, it's very simplistic, the cry of the people, the Lord, He is God. I want that burned in our minds. I want that burned in our hearts. Whether we're in a season of success and God is blessing, or we're in a season of of, uh, discouragement right now. We're going to look next week at a season of discouragement in Elijah's life. You may think, how could Elijah after this ever be discouraged? How could he ever become depressed? Well, he did. And we're going to look at that next week. And so I leave you with this bottom line this morning. 
It's true for 1 Kings 18. It's true in 2012. False gods promise what only the true God can provide. And so if you're not sold out for the Lord your God, if Jesus isn't Lord of your life, maybe today's the day that the game ends. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. And thank you for this powerful passage of Scripture. Truth for our lives today. It's so easy when we study narratives from 2,500 years ago, 3,000 years ago, to wonder, does it really matter in 2012? Does it connect with us today? The answer, of course, is absolutely yes. And it's my prayer that each person here today will have that heart of Elijah, that heart to follow you unconditionally, to follow your son Jesus Christ without wavering. Yes, the gods of today are enticing. They're very appealing to the eye and to the heart. But they can't deliver. And so we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the hope that only he can bring. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. It is uh, invitation time as it is every Sunday here at First Christian Church. And if you have a decision to make for Jesus Christ, I invite you to come forward as Jim leads us in our song of commitment as we stand together and sing. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. so they can greet everybody after this service. And I want to thank you for worshiping with us. If you're a visitor, I'm especially glad that you're able to worship with us today. I'm going to be up front after the service and would have a, love to have a chance to, to meet you and maybe set up a time to visit with you more in depth. I do want to call attention to one announcement in your bulletin. We are really excited that on Saturday, September 15th, we're hosting the Beth Moore simulcast right here at First Christian Church. And due to the generosity of a really strong Christian man in our community, there is no charge for that event. You can come for free. Normally you'd pay $25 to $30 to go to a church and watch Beth Moore on the screen. There's a lunch that's going to be served that day that's going to benefit our college kids that are going to Passion. You do need to sign up for that in advance, but there is a sign up for the seminar. There's no charge, but we do need to get a count on how many are going to be here. Karen Rice is in the foyer, and if you would like to help us with that day, whether it's with ushering or greeting or whatever it may be, you can see Karen as well. Let's close our service with a word of prayer. God, thanks so much for today. 
and the chance to gather together and to study your word and to worship and just to be encouraged by Carson and Angie, just their faith and just their willingness to follow you to Rhode Island. We are just so pumped that um, in a state where three years ago there were no independent Christian churches, we're well on our way to having three. And I just pray your blessing upon Carson and Angie and that entire team, Jared Calger and everyone that's going to be a part of Bridgepoint Christian Church. And now as we leave our beautiful sanctuary, help us to never forget that our call is to be the church wherever we go, whatever we do. We're called to be salt and light. And so give us chances today to do just that. We love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.